Okay, we are holding by Perik Revi, by chapter 4 in Shar HaBitochon. Right? We've been through the Hakdama, the introduction, and then the first three chapters. Um, the last chapter was a long one, and we did it over two weeks, I think. Uh, we talked about um, various important things to remember in order to have proper bitachin, and you know so many details which we're not going to review. Chapter 4 is another long one. Three and four are the two longest chapters, and that's the one we're going to jump into here. Um, he says at the beginning that after I've explained to you the various things that one must remember in order to have proper bitachon, like to remember how Hashem uh, loves us and knows us and knows what's best for us and gives us the, abil- the abilities and so on and so forth, he says, now I want to break down all the various different basic areas in life that we must use our bitachon and how to use it. And he actually gets very nitty gritty here. He goes into a number of different details of where we need our bitachon and how to use it properly in those details. And he breaks it down into seven categories. He likes that. Right, he loves that. It's actually more complicated than that. He breaks it into two, but each of those two into two, and then three, and he comes up to seven. So I decided to just skip to the the number seven, (laughs) instead of how he breaks it into two, and each one of the two has two, and one of the two has another one. But ultimately, it's seven points that he he lays out at the beginning of the parik, of the chapter, which he's going to deal with. And we are, I hope tonight, to get through the first three of them. Although it's a little bit long, we shall see. But let's see what the seven are. He says, the first thing is bitachon in relation to what a person needs physically for themselves. Just for the wording he uses, um, is inyane guf adam bilvad, basic necessities. The, the life, basic health, basic sustenance, my clothing, my food, the basics that a person needs just to live. Um, which is, of course, very near and dear and the first natural thing that all of us think about. So that's number one. Number two, he says, is more a person's possessions. More than the basic needs in order to live, but a person's possessions and a person's business dealings and so on and so forth, what a person amasses in life. And number three is a person's social relationships with their spouse, their children, their relatives, their friends, their enemies, in all social areas of how we relate to others. Those three he lumps together and says they are, he says, inyane olam hazeh. He says these are physical things for physical things, you know, for physical need. Nothing spiritual yet, right? Basic needs, you know, basic needs, um, more broader needs as far as um, possessions and so on and so forth, and social interactions. How bitachon applies in those three areas. Um, I'm just going to list the seven, even though we're only going to focus on those three tonight. Um, the fourth, he says, is physical things, but how they pertain to my avodah Hashem. So he says things, um, the words he uses is chovas halavavos, vohaivarim, the things that are needed, uh, whether it's the duties of the heart or the limbs, in the way that I relate in my service to Hashem. And number five, he says, is those areas of service to Hashem which I need others, where, where, where there's social need, need of others also in my service to Hashem, like learning from others or teaching others or helping others. So number four and five are uh, the, the, dif- the differentiating quality four and five between versus the first three is the first three are just physical, merely physical. Four and five has, is relation to Avodah Hashem, personal and social. Um, six already has to do with reward, 
Hashem, the way Hashem rewards us for Torah mitzvahs. And seven is just Hashem's gifts that are beyond direct reward, but gifts to those who are close to Hashem. That's six and seven. Again, we're not going to get into that at all tonight, so I'm going to leave that. We'll explain that when we talk about it next. Um, but that's the way he breaks it down. So again, there's A, B, and C are all physical, personal, right? We talked about basic needs, broader needs, social needs. That's A, B, C. Then he had two that are related to our Avodah Hashem, when it's personal and when it's connected with others. And then two, which had to do with Hashem's rewarding us, um, basic rewards and more general gifts from Hashem. Those are the seven. He says, we have to study how our bitachon plays itself out in each one of those areas. That's his sort of opener to this chapter, chapter four. So, number one, he says, I want to talk about the first thing, things that are related to the person's body and basic needs, his life, death, food, clothing, home, health, all of that, how does one, what's, what's the bitachon over here? How, how does it play itself out? And he says the following. He says, number one, a person has to remember that what they're going to get, their basic bracha from Hashem, how long they're going to live, how much money they're going to make, what type of person they are, Hashem created that. Every person has a, um, a, an amount of bracha that was designated for this person. And he says, just like as we understand that our life and death are in the hands of Hashem, right? a person is born, they didn't do anything you know, that they decided to be born. When a person's time is up and they pass away, um, this is the hands of Hashem. So too, all of one's basic needs, he says, is in the hands of Hashem, and Hashem determines what one will have and how they will have it. A person is not going to um, add or subtract from the bracha that Hashem has in store for each and every one of us. Again, I think in the past you've asked, what about tefillahs and zechusim? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about spiritual doing a mitzvah to get more zechus. We're talking about things that I can do. Like, I'm going to do something to live longer. Um, you know, if I'm going to be, um, if I'm going to... Eat healthy. Eat healthy, I'm going to live longer and so on and so forth. Which we'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, things that I'm going to do to change what the divine clock for me is. But also like... If you are coping or not coping or you have an anger issue, are you seeking therapy? Exactly. You know? Exactly. All of that is what he's going to deal with right now. Okay. So he says the fact. And he says, he goes, jumps right into that. He says, Im birur emunasa. True, as I know, and my emuna is that all of it was given over to the gzera of Hashem, Habori Yisali, the, uh, the, the, the great creator. Nevertheless, I have an obligation from Hashem. And here we go into a conversation that we've had already and something we keep on coming back to, which is, the big word he uses is sibos, which you asked about before, and that is causes. The causes that we are required by Hashem to make to be the vessels for divine bracha. And he, he explains, let's see how he says. He says, although Hashem determined when a person was born how long the person is going to live, and one person is given... 80 years, 90 years, 70 years, 100 years, whatever, whatever amount of years it is. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, a person is supposed to work on being healthy. A person is supposed to work on getting themselves the necessary things that they need in order to be healthy, in order to secure a home. In other words, I have to do my job to obtain all of the brachas that Hashem has given for me. Well, we can't get any more than this. Right. My obtaining more vessels is not going to give me more. And what's interesting, he's going to say, my lack of obtaining is not going to take it away. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see in a moment. Yeah, so he says, he says, but, 
<laughs> this is my avoda. And he says, he says the following. He says, he, 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 again, he's going to do this step by step. He says, first of all, a person should never endanger themselves. Right? A person might think, listen, if I'm destined to live for 70 years, so I can become a lion trainer, right? Like, why not? I can head out to the jungle and do whatever I want because I'm going to be living for that amount of time anyway, right? Or I can drink poison. Or I can, I'm just using the examples he says, I can battle the, the lions because, right? Or I can throw myself onto the sea or into fire. Why not? And he says, no. He says, you're not allowed to do that. And he says, what will happen if you do? He says, okay, what happens? The person says, I'm a real mind man. I really believe in Hashem. So I'm going to go and do everything dangerous, right? So he says, one of two options might happen. Option one is that you may die, <laughs> right? I'm sorry. Before not, your not time. No, no, he doesn't say it. He says, listen, he says, a person might die when they do that. Now, if they die when they do that, that means that they were supposed to die at that age. Because you're not going to cause, one will not cause their death before their death is designated for them. But if you are the, if the person is the one who caused it, then that person is, is considered a murderer. They caused their death. They caused and their own death. They caused their own death. And here we come to a very interesting concept. And I want to talk about this for a moment because it's important. And it's a big amuna. It's a big step in amuna. Forget about ourselves for a second. If a person murders someone else, let's say there's a, there's a murderer out there in the street and, and, he, and he kills someone. Do we believe that that person was really supposed to live beyond this date? No. no. Because if that person died, that means they were supposed to die today. Nevertheless, the murderer is considered a murderer, according to Torah, and is culpable for the death penalty and the punishments and everything, because they did a terrible thing. They took someone's life and they had no right to. Right? So we understand this. This is an important thing to understand. If, a, if person A murders person B, or, or, or harms person B in any way, we believe person B was supposed to die that day or was supposed to be harmed that day, yet person A is seen as a murderer because they did something they're not allowed to do. They're not allowed to murder someone else. If Hashem wants someone to pass away, Hashem will find out how to do that. One is a murderer. He says exactly the same thing is when a person endangers their own life and dies in the, in the act. It's the same thing. He says they have taken their own life. And I'll say, but, I, but, but, but my life was supposed to end that day anyway. Right? Well, that's the same thing like saying I can murder anybody because their life is supposed to end on that day. This is a, it's a, it's a complicated concept, but this is a very basic Amuna concept. We believe that nobody can change Hashem's plans. If Hashem planned that Reuven is going to live for 70 years, no murderer in the world can take their life. So again, which means that if the murderer did kill them, that means that they were supposed to die that day. And yet, but, but the murderer is a murderer. And he says the same thing is in our own life story. That if we act dangerously, and when one acts dangerously and they die, so do we believe that they caused their death? No. Believe me, the, the day this person was born, this person was supposed to pass away at that day. 45, 73, whatever it was. But by the fact that they acted irresponsibly and brought about, they were the shliach, they brought about their death, then they were a murderer of themselves. So where does that matter, though? It matters in Shemayim? Yeah. Oh. 
yeah. were punished for yeah. murder. That this person who took, who acted dangerously and therefore took his life is just like they murdered someone, except that here that one is themselves. And is that true with suicide too? Well, suicide. It is, it is true, except that typically suicide is a mental issue. The right. person's not responsible. The person mentally is mentally ill. But if one were to take for, I mean, I don't think we can really understand that. If someone is healthy, they don't do suicide, right? No. So, that's, so it doesn't, I don't think that's a, no, a person is not mentally stable, not mentally stable. But we're talking about someone who says, I'm not doing suicide. I'm just going to act dangerously. Yeah. And when the person acts dangerously, they, all too often, they can cause their death. Yeah. So the, the mimer is saying, or the, the safer is saying, that when one acts dangerously and takes their life, though we believe that they were destined to die on that day, they did a big avera by acting in that way and being the cause that brought about what any way had to be what had to happen. Can I just, I, if I'm off topic, we could do it another time. But do we not allow somebody who committed suicide to be in a... In, in a Jewish cemetery, right? There is so, a there is such a concept. However, however, okay, I, we could yeah, that's a time. totally, okay, totally. Okay, okay. But the the basic thing is, in order for that to be held true, that person would have to be deemed one hundred percent healthy, um, healthy, and therefore um, responsible for their actions. Which, to my knowledge, at that least to happen. date, when a person commits suicide, nobody nobody even thinks about that for a moment, right? So it's it's a hypothetical concept. But in practicality, a person who's in that place is not healthy and therefore is not responsible. So it's not an issue then in that way. Typically okay. speaking, correct. So, so sometimes Hashem uses people to, to, to kill people, mm -hmm. okay? But sometimes He uses malfunctioning of an airplane. Like right. sometimes He uses things. Right. Okay. Right, right. And those, Hashem, Hashem, what Hashem wants to happen is going to happen. What Hashem doesn't want to happen is not going to happen. That's what emuna is. And therefore, when we know that for certain, we know that, yes, if something happened, it was meant to happen. And when a natural tragedy happens and, I don't know, you know, terrible things happen and people die, it's terrible and we're pained and we're saddened. And yet we believe that if it happened, it was because it was supposed to happen and all those people were supposed to pass away on that day. And the ones who were there is because they had to pass away on that day. And whoever wasn't supposed to pass away then just wasn't there for whatever reason or circumstance. And as we know, when these terrible stories happen, there's always the people that happened not to be there though they were supposed to. And the people that happened to be there though they weren't supposed to. Mm -hmm. Right? So one who doesn't, who's not a Maimon and Hashem says, well, this happened and that happened. But a Maimon says, whoever was there is because they had to be there that day because that was their last day in the world. Whether the building was going to collapse or not. Um, and whoever wasn't, supposed to, whoever wasn't supposed to pass away that day just wasn't there that morning for whatever reason, seemingly insignificant reasons, and everyone has their, their, their stories about that or the books that are written about those you know, crazy stories where someone happened not to be there. Right? Be that as it may. Back to here. So he says, therefore, one is never allowed to act dangerously. Just like you can't hurt someone and say they were supposed to be hurt, one cannot act dangerously and say, well, if something's going to happen, it's meant to happen. But that means that I was the one who caused it. And for that, I am held accountable. And there he says, he's very clear. He says, the Torah says, lo sirtzach. He says, you're not allowed to kill. And that includes oneself to do an act that can cause that. And he says, to the contrary, when one, is a, when one kills, the closer one is to the one they killed, the more terrible the act is. Closer mean relationship? Relationship-wise. He brings a passage from Amos that says, 
that a person who pursued his brother with a sword, did not have mercy, that act of murder is even worse than killing someone who you have no relationship with. How much more so if it's oneself? We have the first responsibility to maintain. Hashem gave us a body and he, gave, and he said, protect us, take care of this. Now, when your time comes, that's Hashem's business, but we, can, we, can, we, we are never allowed to do something to hurt ourselves. Furthermore, he says, when it comes... Can I just Okay, that's a very good question. Um, I just want to say that you're coming across very uh, not so clear. So I, I did get the gist of your question, but it's, I don't know if it's uh, internet connection or something. But you're asking an interesting question, which is, there's various types of activities that some people deem to be dangerous and some don't, and how do we know exactly? Um, I don't have a good answer to that question. Um, you gave examples of things that people do every day, and many people don't consider them dangerous. So at what point is something halachically considered dangerous and therefore forbidden or not um, is an interesting question that I don't have a clear answer to. You said uh, flying a helicopter or jet skiing, I know some people will say it's dangerous, many people will say it's not. So how does one, how does, how does one de decide in a definitive way? Uh, when he talks about fighting with lions, I think it would be very hard for anyone to argue that that's not dangerous, right? A lion is stronger than a human being. Um, so I, 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 don't, I hear your question, I understand it, and I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how to define what is considered dangerous. There are certain things I think that there's no one who will argue is dangerous. That's clearly what he's talking about, first and foremost. Uh, beyond that, I think it... Uh, is it also dangerous, like, that could take a long time to come, let's say, smoking cigarettes? Is that, is that talking about this too or not? Again, what he says, yeah. he talked about, he talked about things like throwing yourself into fire or fighting with lions or throwing yourself into water. That's the thing that he's clearly talking about. Okay. Now, that's another question and perhaps it will be touched upon as well. But here he was talking about immediate danger and threat. That's what he was talking about here. Um, one more point he adds to this before we move on to the next point, and that is, he says, when it comes to one endangering themselves, in addition to the basic concept of uh, that one is not allowed to you know, kill someone or anything like that, there's something else, which is, Hashem gave each and every one of us a mission and a job. And our job is to be here in the world and, and fulfill His mitzvahs from us. And when we endanger our existence, we're going against the mission that He entrusted us with. He says, an interesting um, an analogy, He says, if you have a master who tells a servant, I want you to do a certain job for me and not leave there until I tell you to. So the servant doesn't have the right to say, you know, maybe my job's up. The master will decide when our job is up. We don't have that right. And, you know, we believe that very strongly. We don't have the right to decide, you know what, maybe I had enough of life, right? And that's why we have all types of, you know, it's always difficult, but end-of-life questions when it comes up. Like, at what point? Because we can't say, you know, it's so difficult, I'd rather not live. Uh, under regular circumstances, we can't say that. I do know that there's a lot of questions sometimes at end-of-life, obviously, and that's to be decided by a real halachic authority. But, but in the, the basic idea it says is, we were entrusted with our life and we, we have the achrayas, we have the responsibility to look out for it. Um, and he says an interesting example. He brings an interesting um, uh, source for that. And that's the story of Shmuel Hanavi, the great Shmuel Hanavi. And that is, we know that um, Shmuel 
was the Navi who anointed the first and the second king of Klal Yisrael. Right? He, enjoyed, he anointed first Shaul. And then when Shaul uh, sinned in the eyes of Hashem, the story of Amalek, so Shmuel was told to go and find the son of Yishai, which is David, and anoint him. Shmuel turns to Hashem and says, Eich eilech v'shama Shaul v'haraguni. How can I go? Shmuel says to Hashem, how can I go anoint David as a new king? You realize the old king is still here and he's still king. Not just alive, he, 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 was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was reigning, right? He was the king. So Shmuel says to Hashem, what should I do? And Hashem says, you're right. He says, take with you a, an eglas buck or take a calf. And if anyone asks, say you're just going to bring a sacrifice. And you're not going to anoint a new king, you want to bring a sacrifice. And then when you're there already, you'll find David and you'll anoint him. That's the story that says in Shmuel, in Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph. So, so the Chovah Salavah says, let's learn from Shmuel. What does Shmuel tell Hashem? He said, this is dangerous, right? And think about it. Shmuel had just got a mitzvah from Hashem. Hashem said, I want you to go do something. And yet Shmuel tell, turns to Hashem and says, well, Hashem is dangerous. Now, Hashem could have told him, um, excuse me, I told you to do it. I'll take care of you, right? I'll wash over you. Right. Like, for example, when Hashem tells Moshe to go to Paro, and Moshe tells Hashem, how am I going to go to Paro? So Hashem says, you know, I'll be with you and I'll be your mouth and I'll, I'll take care of it. So we see Hashem could definitely tell a person, you know, I'll take care of it. It's on me, right? But no. Hashem hears Shmuel out and he says, you're right. Let's do something to avoid the danger. So he brings this as an analogy and a proof to this concept that we are supposed to think about danger and not put ourselves in dangerous harm. Uh, I'm sorry, in dangerous way or in harm's way, in harm's way, um, because that's our achrayis. So, again, and that's the, the two-sided story over here. He wants us to understand that, on the one hand, if something is going to happen to us, it was meant to happen to us. True. That's true. We're not going to die one day before we were supposed to. But if we were the ones who did something that brought that, that caused that, then we're considered responsible and culpable for it and punishable for it. Though, true, in Hashem's cheshbon, we were going to, we might have died, we, not might have, we would have died on that day anyway. So that is point number one. On the other hand, he says, what if one was not meant to die in that day? They weren't. And they're going to act very dangerously. What's going to happen? They'll be saved. So what's wrong with that? That's wonderful, right? He says, no. He says, because if one put themselves in harm's way and miraculously they were saved, it says that one loses their merits because Hashem had to use their merits, so to speak, in order to perform a nace for them. And that's a concept of, it's called in halacha, minakim lo zachri yosav, that one loses their zechusim. In other words, in life, we develop certain zechusim, certain merits, because of mitzvahs, or because of our parents, or grandparents, whatever it is, we may, we may have zechusim, so we have credits. Now, it's good to hold on to our credits. He says, because you need it in life, you need zechusim. But when one endangers themselves, and Hashem extracts them from that danger, because it's not the day for that person to pass on, chas so he says, that's, you think that's wonderful, but it's really not wonderful, because one just depleted their zechusim. And in fact, he brings, the Gemara says, he brings the Gemara in the Shabbos, which says, a person should never stand in a place of sakana, and he'll say that, well, Hashem will do a miracle for me. So the Gemara says, first of all, well, a miracle might not happen. And if a miracle does happen, so one will lose their zechuyos. One, one can lose the merits that they have because it had to be used in order to save them. Yaakov Avinu. When Yaakov Avinu is faced with Esav, what does Yaakov say? He's afraid. He says, Katonti mikol hachasadim. What does that mean? 
And there's different ways of interpreting it. But it literally means I've become small. I'm small. I'm humbled because of all the chassad and all the kindness that Hashem has showed me. But one of the explanations that he brings here is Yaakov was saying, being that Hashem showed me so much kindness, I feel I may have lost the necessary zechusim to protect me from Esav. And that's why he says, um, that's why he says that one is never allowed to endanger themselves in any way because of these concepts. Either one will, either the, there won't be a nest because the person will supposed to pass away, but the person then is considered culpable for that. Or if there will be a nest, the person will lose in their schusim. So that was as far as endangering oneself. But then he says, just like it is with life and death and endangering oneself, the same is with health. That a person has Are we to still do. On one? We're still on one. We're okay, going okay. to be on one for a while. Sorry. Okay, okay. He, go, he goes into this. He really okay. does. As I said, chapter four is a very long one. It, it probably takes three weeks, probably. But anyway, he says, the same thing is with health. And the same thing is with my basic parnasa. Whatever it is, I have a responsibility that Hashem told me to do whatever I can um, to see to it that, I, that I, I do what I can to make myself a vessel for the various brachas of Hashem. He talks about if one has a field and one will say, well, my field will just grow produce, whatever I need. He says, no, you got to go out there and you got to plow it and then you got to you got to clean it, and you have to, you know, weed it and prune it, and so on and so forth. This is one's malacha. This is one's responsibility in every area. Now he says, and when the bracha does come, so one has their field, and they did all the work, so if one has the right emuna, they believe that it came to me because Hashem wanted to give me that bracha. Right? So my, my field, you know, the, the, the Gemara says um, that a person is maimin b'chaye olam, Vizoreya. He believes that life comes from Hashem, the sustenance comes from Hashem, and he goes out and plants his field. So I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to plant my field, but my hope and trust is not in my seeds. It's not in my um, you know, abilities of planting. Um, and therefore, I recognize that whatever came is exactly how much I was supposed, was supposed to come, and not because I did a better job this time. And the same thing is when we receive from another person. So we're thankful to the person. We are thankful. We should throw our thankfulness. But we recognize that the reason I received this today is because Hashem wanted me to receive it today. And my ultimate thanks is to Hashem. Um, and I'm thankful for the person for being the vehicle to bring me the bracha that Hashem wanted to bring me today. Um, I remember um, I, I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago when we began, I think tonight is the fifth class or the sixth, I don't remember. But um, when we started, I said that we started this really, we were inspired by, a couple of years ago, by my uncle, Rabbi Shalom Archai Rubashkin, when he was freed from jail, and he would talk all about the Sefer, and he still does, that's all he talks about really, is Bitochon. But I remember, so that day when he was freed, so I went to New York together with my wife to, to celebrate the Shabbos together with him and the, the broader family and thousands of other people who came in over throughout Shabbos. It must have been like wild. Yeah, that's an understatement. But I remember that um, the one who actually was the one who signed his papers was President, uh, former President Trump. Um, he's the one who commuted his sentence, right? So on Sunday, I remember he was in the office, I was sitting with him. And they were preparing a document, the lawyers, of where he's thanking the president for what he, for doing this. <laughs> and you realize he was, according to the, uh, the sentence, he would not just still be sitting in jail now, he would still have another 15 years from now still to sit. I and mean, basically it was a life sentence. So they had this document written up of where he, Shalom Rabashkin, is thanking President Trump for his kindness and so on and so forth. 
And he, I see him, he's reading it, and he's rereading it, and he says, I'm not signing this document. I said, why not? He says, because I'm only going to sign it if, if, if Hashem is thanked at the beginning and at the end. And then in the middle, we'll thank you. Of course, you don't say thank you, but it has to start with acknowledging thanks to Hashem. It has to finish with acknowledging thanks to Hashem. Put in those two lines at the beginning, and then in the middle, you can write whatever you want, and I'll sign it. But he wouldn't sign it. And this was already typed up from the lawyers, and this was the official document they had prepared. He would not sign it. They had sent it back. They had to rewrite it because it says, a gift that you receive from man, you're going to thank the man, but you have to understand, it has to be clear that we believe that every gift that we receive is because Hashem is giving us that gift today. And this person is being thanked for being a vehicle for the gift. That's as far as a, a person, and the same is with my field that's giving me the produce, and the business that's giving me my parnosa, that ultimately we know that yes, it's a good keli, and a keli that I have to make, and I'm supposed to make, and invest my efforts into it, and yet that is not where it's coming from. Um, and then he goes on to say that the same thing is, well, beforehand, he says, well, okay, so what if I invested my energies and didn't succeed? I went to work today and tomorrow, um, and it didn't succeed. So he says, well, so I have to understand that Hashem has decided to give me what I need in a different way. Um, I'm still doing my job, and I shouldn't. He says, don't stop. You know, you have, you have to continue making your keli. Sometimes it will work the way you expect it, sometimes not the way you expect it. Hashem is going to give you a bracha through that, or sometimes he'll decide, you'll you work here, and I'll give you the bracha through the back door. That's Hashem's business. I have to continue making my keli the best that I can. Um, he goes on and says, the same thing is with health, with basic health, that we have to, and this is, you asked about doing things that are not healthy, things that are determined not to be healthy. He says, yes, we believe in Hashem to keep us healthy, but we have to be mishtadel by being healthy and doing the things that are understood by those who understand these things, what is meant to be healthy and what is to help us in that. And that includes listening to doctors. And he says, the Torah itself says, the Torah talks about a doctor and the power of healing and says that we are supposed to listen to those doctors. And that's a very important concept. They, that, that Hashem gave that permission and therefore that responsibility for people to actually learn how to do this and for people who don't know how to listen to those who study and, and know it to the best of their abilities. Though, and again, he always says, not that we believe in their power independently but that we are making the keli as Hashem wants us to. And then Hashem sends his refuah through them. He quotes a pasuk in Tehillim, Yishlach dvaro v'yir pa'im. That's in uh, 107 in Tehillim. That Hashem will send the healing through the proper vehicles. Um, two interesting ideas. There's a lengthy story of the Alter Rebbe, which I'm not going to, the Balatani, which I'm not going to say over the details. The point of the story was that he sent his chassid and sent him to go dafka to the biggest doctor. He said, don't go to anyone, but he was sent, I think, to the, to the king's doctor or something, the emperor's doctor. And the chassid was somewhat like, you know, I'll go to a doctor. Why, why is he the best doctor in the world? And he said that with every doctor comes along a malach, which that malach is the vehicle through which the doctor gives his brachas, right? Hashem, Hashem sends a malach. But the greater the doctor, the greater the malach. And with the king's doctor, malach refal himself is with him. So I want you to go there because that's where the bracha is strongest. So he didn't say he's the greatest doctor because he spent the, the most years in, in, in uh, you know, medical school. He said he was the greatest doctor because he's being accompanied by the greatest malach. But this is an interesting concept that he says, that's one idea. Another idea says that Hashem sends his words and heals them. The idea of sending his words, and Hasidus tells us a lot 
that everything in this world is created and sustained through Hashem's words. Right? Hashem created the world with ten utterances. And those utterances are in every, in every creation. Like a, 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 the, he, the Hebrew letters that make up the names of everything are the divine energies of every given being. Person or, or a, a table. The word for table in Hebrew is shulchan, which is four letters of the olive base. They carry a certain divine energy. And everything in the world carries energy. Medicines also carry a divine energy. There's certain letters of Hashem's words that give the energy through which the healing comes from the medicines. And therefore, medicines are a vehicle, just like a person is a vehicle, and just like a president could be a vehicle, and just like a job can be a vehicle, medicines is a vehicle, and doctors, these are vehicles that we are commanded to work on knowing that they're merely vehicles. He goes on to say that sometimes Hashem brings healing through, through ways that we wouldn't expect whatsoever. Um, and he says interesting stories from the Torah. He says sometimes, um, sometimes it happens in a miraculous way. You have the story of, uh, he quotes the story of Elisha. Um, Elisha, who was the disciple of Eliyahu Anavi. And right after Eliyahu Anavi goes, goes to heaven, the famous story with the chariots. So uh, Elisha, Elisha performs many miracles. One of the first miracles the Navi tells us is that the water in the city was very, very bitter. The people complained, we can't drink from the waters. And Elisha says, um, he says, take salt and pour it into the water and that will sweeten the water. Salt doesn't typically make water sweet. But if Hashem wants that the water should become sweet through salt, it will become sweet through salt. Right? If we understand that everything is vehicles of Hashem, so there's the natural vehicles and sometimes the supernatural vehicles. That's Hashem's business. Right? In the, in the Chumash, in, in two weeks ago, the Parsha, the Jews also, they, they told Moshe Rabbeinu that the water is bitter. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Take a, take a stick and throw it into the water. And that will make it sweet. Again, Hashem is not limited by which type of vehicle He's going to use. One final one He brings is the story of Chizkiyahu, the king Chizkiyahu, um, who was one of the later kings of Yehuda, and he was on his deathbed, and he was very sick, and the Navi Yishayahu came, we spoke about this probably about a half a year ago, the Navi Yishayahu came, and he said that he's going to die, Chizkiyahu davens to Hashem, Hashem accepts his tefillah, and tells Yishayahu, okay, tell him to be cured, let him put um, figs, uh, or a cake of pressed figs on his skin, and that will heal him. And the Chazal say a cake of pressed skin, uh, thin, uh, thin figs, if anything, is bad for the skin, not good for the skin. But if that's the vehicle that Hashem chooses, that's, then the Baruch will come through that. We have to make the best vehicle we can, and Hashem will decide which vehicle He will use to give the Baruch for. So, so wouldn't yeah. that also mean that, like, we go to the doctor, Hashem, that doctor is going to be a right doctor or a wrong doctor, not wrong being wrong, but... If it's not supposed to be healed, then you're not going to be healed. Right. That's correct. And if you're supposed right. to be healed, it's going to be the right doctor versus, I don't mean right and wrong per this se. This is correct. This is correct. We, right. we have a mitzvah to make vehicles. Hashem makes decisions. And Hashem hopefully will heal us. And therefore, when we do our vehicle, we create the correct vehicle for that. That's exactly so. And that's in, in the various examples that he's given. We talk about danger. We talk about doctors. We talk about... Um, a job, all of these ideas are creating those proper and necessary vehicles to receive the brachas that are there for us. Anyways, all of this was number one of the seven, right? I said there were seven, but there, I said there was three that are lumped together, the first three. And the first three are, are the basic needs of a person. The first one was most personal, just our basic needs, our basic health, our basic body, our basic life and death, our basic food. That's what we talk about, number one. 
Let's, let's jump into number two. Number two is more broad. That's not just my basic needs. It's my possessions. It's my earnings. It's my job. It's my saving accounts, my bank accounts. It's, it's more broad than my basic needs to get by, to live and be healthy. And here he says, again, a person has to have bitachon and do their job. How much that job is going to bring in for the person, ultimately that's Hashem's, that's Hashem's um, cheshbon. And some people are destined to be wealthier than others. And it's interesting, not always the wealthiest people work the hardest. Sometimes there are people who are working just as hard and not being quite as wealthy at all. Sometimes they may be working a lot harder. And the person who's rather wealthy is spending a lot of time <laughs> on vacation. And somehow it's not commensurate because there are vehicles that we are meant to make and Hashem decides how much He's going to pour through those vehicles. And He says something very interesting. He says, many times a person who's really wealthy, that is not Hashem's way of giving him what he needs. It's Hashem entrusting him to be a giver for many others as well. Hashem only knows who gets what and when and where, but many times it says, Hashem is giving one person because through this person, he's taking care of a community. He's taking care of a whole, maybe a country. If, what if, if that person is a king, for example, and the king has fabulous wealth, it's so the king should, you know, how many pairs of clothing can the king wear, right? So this king and this minister or this very wealthy person is someone that for whatever schus that person has, Hashem shows this person to be one who's going to be a conduit of wealth for the world. And for other people, starting, of course, for his own closer people, whether his family and so on and so forth, but further and further. And he says, and here is where people start making many mistakes, when people are recipients of those wealth. And he talks about three types of mistakes. He says one mistake is when people think that, you know, if, if one is wealthy, you know what, I'll do all types of things to increase my wealth. And many of those things might be not scrupulous, not honest, and so on and so forth. And here he says, remember, you can only do that if you forget that whatever you have is destined to come to you. If it's destined to come to you, why do it in a way that's sinful? You can, if you're going to get it, you're going to get it acting, you know, uh, Yashar. I'm sorry? Yashar. Yashar, exactly. Honestly, a way, the way Hashem wants, the way according to Terah Mitzvah. So here you're doing all these types of things, which are with a heter or without a heter or whatever. And why? Because you want to increase your wealth because you the person is forgetting that you can't increase. You can only create vehicles to receive what you're meant to receive. So that's one point that people forget about. That, and then people start doing all types of crazy things. There's no reason to do it because either you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. Why act? Why do something that's against Hashem, against the terror, against you know, goodness and kindness? The next thing is, he says, that a person thinks that everything that they're receiving is for themselves and to use it. That's a person is wealthy. Person, well, obviously, if I have you know an extra million, another million, so obviously I have to use it for A, B, C because it's mine to use. She says. He says that's nonsense. He says because there is a number of reasons why Hashem gives us what we need. The first thing is to take care of our needs. And that's true. That Hashem takes care of every person, every being, every creature, animals, are have the basic needs that they have in order to live. So number one is you get for yourself. Number two is you get in order to give others. 
And, and that's the key he was saying that Hashem blesses a person with tremendous wealth is because this person is meant to be a conduit for his family and for his friends and for others and people who are asking so that the fact that one received doesn't mean that it's for them to use more and more and more. And finally, he says, the many times Hashem is giving one something, it's not for anyone's use. It's for the next generation. It's for your children. It's for, you don't know the cheshbon. A person might be amassing wealth that is going to be distributed 10 years, 20 years, 100 years down the road. Not everything that you have is there because you have to use it today. When you say that everybody gets their basic needs and there are people starving and don't have this and don't have that, that's considered that they got their basic needs? It's a good question. It's a good question. And, and um, I, I don't have a off the top of my head answer to say that. He does talk about that. He talks about the fact that in a regular healthy situation, Hashem provides for every one of his brios of how to live. Like we see from the animal kingdom, like we see from the vegetable kingdom, and so on and so forth. There's always reasons or exceptions. Maybe a person is being punished for something or maybe not that they did or their parents. We don't know the, the reasons for everything. But there is a basic concept that Hashem created the world and creates sustenance for it. Like we say in that, we say many psukim and davening that talk about that, that, um, you know, v'rachmo v'kalmaisav, Hashem takes care of His creations. Now, there are times when, for some reason, we see a person suffering terribly, um, which there's, there's got to be reasons that we don't understand for that. But ba- the basic needs and necessities, of course, if we, we, we're meant to make our kalim for that, but that is the basics that Hashem sort of says, I'm taking care of the world on a basic level. Here we're talking about the concept of wealth, and greater wealth, and so on and so forth. That's what he's talking about over here. But yeah, you make a good point that there are people that seem not to have the basic needs, and that's... Um, like, I mean, we mentioned last week also that there are certain things that we don't understand that he, we, as we mentioned in this learning about Sadiqim suffering or so on and so forth. So I'd probably put that into that category. Um, where, where are we time-wise? Okay, uh, one more idea. He says, another mistake that people make is, and this is an important one, he says people who are wealthy and Hashem blesses them and they're able to receive a tremendous amount and they actually give others also. They're actually, they're like, they're wonderful. They give others and they give tzedakah and they help people. But they start becoming arrogant. They feel they're givers. They're givers and people owe it to them and they deserve all the kavod and the honor. And that's how they feel about themselves. And he says that is also a mistake because that is not recognizing that when Hashem is blessing you with that, it's because He blessed you with the ability to be a conduit for others. That's what he gave it to you. So really, it was meant for that person. And you had this chus of the mitzvah of being the one, the shliach, to bring from Hashem what that person needs. And he says, when a person looks at their bracha from Hashem in that way, then they don't become arrogant. And they're not looking to, um, you know, to receive from, you know, receive kavod and reward for what they've given because they see themselves as tremendous keepers or not, not keepers, as, as this chus of being shluchim of Hashem, to give people what Hashem has in store for them. And it says, and that person never becomes arrogant 
um, about their wealth or about their giving even, because they recognize that this is bracha from Hashem for others to receive. Are you allowed to feel good about that though? So... You're allowed to feel good about every mitzvah that one does. Any positive thing that we do, we should feel good that we have the schos to do a positive thing. There's a big difference between feeling good and feeling arrogant. Those are two different things. Um, A person should feel happy when they do a good thing. Any good thing. But the question is, do I feel like I'm the giver and they're the receivers and they're beholden to me? That's what we're talking of here. When a person recognizes, I made my kalim and Hashem gave me a tremendous bracha because he saw in me a tremendous schos to be able to give and share. So it's my schus to give, it's my schus to share. By the way, this is not only about money. There's so many ways that every person is blessed with abilities to give and share. Mm-hmm. And it could be compassion, it could be a good word, it could be kindness. In many different ways, it's a schus to be a giver. We had in last week's Parsha, it says... Um, I just heard it this week. It says, "Im kesef talve es ami." Right? If you if you have money and you give loans to people, es ha'oni imach, the the poor people amongst you, you should give them loans first, etc., etc. So I saw this Shabbos from the Alshech, the great Alshech from Sfas, Alshech Hakadosh. She says, "Es ha'oni imach." The word of the pasuk is, "The poor people with you." He says, "You should read it and understand." Hashem is saying that the poor person's money is in your pocket. It's his. It was just, you have this chus that you are the shliach of Hashem to give it to him. Don't look at it that, you know, I have and I'm worthy and I'm so wonderful, I'm going to share some. That the, the, the more emunah-based approach is that Hashem gave me some of his stuff and therefore I have to give it to him. In fact, the word for tzedakah in Hebrew, which is translated in English as charity, really what does tzedakah justice. mean? Justice, righteous. In other words, we believe that when I'm giving tzedakah, it's not like I'm such a tzaddik that I'm doing something. I'm actually fulfilling the righteous thing, the, 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 just, the justified thing, by giving the person what was meant for them. And I have this chus that Hashem gave it to me to be the shliach to give it out. Um, and that is how he looks, how he says, how one should look at that, um, that, that wealth. So therefore, just to summarize, because I think we're going to stop here, he talked about three mistakes of wealth. He talked about one the things that Oh, I, I want to be wealthy, so I'll do all types of tricks and dishonest things to do it. He says, if one has real amuna, they know they're going to get what they're going to get anyway. So why not do it in an upright way, according to Torah, and make Hashem happy while you're doing it? Right? Do it in a, in a way of zechus. And the second point was, he says, that one become, that thinks it's all for me. It's all for me. It's all, for, uh, it's all to use today because I, I, if I have so much wealth, obviously I have to keep on buying more and more things because I have so much money. And he says, no, Hashem has various reasons why he's giving it to you. He's giving you for your needs. He's giving you to shear. He's giving to put away for later, for who knows when. This is all part of Hashem's giving you. That doesn't mean that he's giving it to you for today. And finally, he says, it takes away the arrogance, the arrogance within giving when I recognize that I'm merely a conduit for Hashem's bracha in order to give it further. So we're going to stop here. Um, So we're just to remember that we are in the middle of the second, uh, we're in the middle of the second of the seven areas of bitachon and how we bring that into our practical life. Okay? Um, I'm going to say the following, and that is...